So, all right, so before we begin, I would just like to pray, and then we'll dive right into what we're going to maybe do. Wow. Let's try this again. All right, so let's pray. Jesus, thank you for today. Thank you for um, everything you're doing in our life. Thank you for the opportunity that we can get together as, as people to um, learn a little bit about who you are and what you do. God, I pray for this session that um, your name would be glorified and your name would be lifted up so that way we can go back changed and we can go back equipped with what you have for us. God, I thank you for Synergy and for all the, all the efforts that people have put on to make this thing happen. And I pray by your name that, um, that you would just, be a, just speak to everyone, Holy Spirit, so we can go back and actually impact our families and our communities for you. Um, thank you again, and uh, may my words become your words, and may my actions become your actions. Amen. If at any point I'm not loud enough, Jordan, just wave. Got it? All right, cool. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, how do you minister to the unchurched kid even if the parents are against it? Um, so before we begin, we just need to uh, kind of lay a foundation of understanding what does God calling us to do and how, and how that how that plays out in our ministries. So since the beginning of, of time, God has always pursued his creation. He's always wanted to be one with his creation as the entire point, create us out of love. That community, that relationship that God created since the beginning. But then we start seeing the fall happen. We see sin enter the world and all of a sudden you have this separation that has taken place. And from that point forward, we have a complete and absolute like disunity that we sense between God and his people. But then we start seeing little nuggets with Abraham, with Moses, with the prophets, all those different people. We start seeing God wanting to be close to his people. God wanting to be close to his people, but that sin barrier separates. And then we have this climax of Jesus coming and his death, his resurrection, to kind of bring us one with God. But we still have that sin problem that separates us from God. And that sin problem is what causes that issue that we are in today. Because us as Christians, as believers, we have this peace and hope in Christ, but we live in a sinful world and we're asking this question, God, why, why is not full peace here? Why aren't people being healed? Why aren't we seeing amazing things? And because we have this sin issue. Uh, theologians call this the already but not yet, this in-between kind of weird time that we're living in as, as followers of believers. And that tension we have to walk into. Um, so in Jeremiah uh, 23, 4, it says, then I'll... Um, then I will appoint responsible shepherds who will care for them. Now, at this point, he's talking about the lost sheep of Israel. And they will never be afraid again. Not a single one will be lost or missing. I, the Lord, have spoken. How many of you have seen the show The Mandalorian? I have spoken, right? I think that's kind of funny. It's in the Bible. That's hilarious. I find that funny. But anyways, but God here is telling Jeremiah that he is going to appoint shepherds to watch over and bring peace and help these sheep not to be afraid anymore. And biblically, who are the, who are the sheep? Raise your hand. Come on. Come on. Answer it right, and you get a pen. I know. Woo! Who are, but who, who? We are, biblically, back in Jeremiah's day, who were sheep? Who? Who said Israel? Boom. Israel. The law, oh, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> calisthenics today. You'll be fine. Um, Israel. Israel is the lost sheep. It wasn't until later on with Jesus that we see sheep as the whole world. As we see in Matthew 28, when Jesus said, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, and he labels out where we should be going, right? So we start seeing this. So all of a sudden we start seeing not just Israel is the lost sheep, but the entire world is the lost sheep. So what's really neat about this is that Jesus has called every single one of you. The moment you said, yeah, Jesus, I believe in you, you're baptized, you're filled with the Spirit, you're doing stuff for God, automatically you're a shepherd. Congratulations. Did anybody know that the moment they said that? No. No. Surprise. You guys are answering this prophecy that the Lord has sent to Jeremiah hundreds, thousands of years ago. That is significant. So if we look at that as a whole, that biblical backdrop, now we launch into the questions when it comes to how do you pursue and how do you minister to the unchurched child or the unchurched family? You are the minister to make that happen. 
This is not a paid position. This is not something that you could get paid doing it. But if you're not and you're a volunteer, you're a minister of God to make this thing happen. So that means you signed up for it, whether you knew it or not. Surprise, it's biblical. It's there. We need to figure out, well, how do we do this? How do we make it happen? So I'm going to launch into a couple of questions. And um, these questions, I love questions. I think they're great because it helps us get to the heart of what we believe and what we do. I also hate questions because people can piss me off when they ask too many questions. And it's like they're getting to my heart. I'm like, step away. I'm like, okay, we're getting a little too close now. So what are some questions that you would ask yourself if someone asked you this question? You'd be like, well, let me have some follow-up questions. If I asked you, how do you minister to the unchurched child? What would be some follow-up questions you would want to ask me before we dive in? Raise your hand. Come on. Yes, sir. Very good. Good. What type of biblical understanding do they have, or if any at all? Good. What other follow-up questions we have? All right. You. Way in the back. What is their family situation? Very good. Sorry. There you go. Didn't want to poke your eye out with that. That'd be horror. All right. Cool. Well, how about one more question? Good. What is other religious background, information, that sort of thing? Good. These are all really good questions. So we start diving into this thing. We start coming up with a lot of complicated questions that have some pretty deep, significant issues, right? I mean, this stuff can go deep pretty quick, if, and that's why we need to understand and, and answer these. So some of these questions I actually ask myself. This one I always ask myself, especially when the Lord called us to step away from full-time ministry in Pennsylvania to open up a coffee shop that would love people and help people learn to follow Jesus with no model to follow whatsoever. And it's like, that's not what I want to do. I'm a kid's pastor. I know how to do that. You want me to open a business? I've never been to business school. Why would I open up a business? Bad idea. Everyone, this is Austin. Can you all say hi to Austin? Hi, Austin. Austin and I, um, we worked at Starbucks together when I first moved to Hilliard. Also fellow believer. He's watched me the moment we landed in Hilliard to where we are now. It is crazy the, the amount of relationship we've experienced, but also for him to see how God has worked into our life and how I've seen God work in his life because of that. And he could be, if you don't trust me, you're like, nay, I don't believe anything you say, just ask him. <laughs> he'd be like, uh-huh, he had no idea what he was doing. So um, just ask Austin, he'd be good. Um, so anyway, so, but this question always came up to me in my head when it came to how do I start what God wants me to do something new? Always ask the question, how do I minister to someone who doesn't even care about Jesus? They don't give two, two pennies about who Christ is. They don't care. So how do you love that person? They don't care. That is a question we have to think about when we ask this question, how do you minister to an un, unchurched kid? Next question is, what is effective ministry outside of the church, even if you don't have a church building? We just got back from El Salvador, and their entire ministry is on the streets, is in the schools, is in the system. They have a church building that they go to once a week, but all the ministry happens outside of it all the time. What does that look like in the United States of America? How do we, how do we know this is effective? I, these are questions we have to ask because these are the people that will not come into our doors of the church, right? They won't do it. They're unchurched. So why would they even enter? If they don't care about Jesus, why would they enter? So see, see how we're asking these, see how I'm asking these questions? We're just doing, just breaking it down. How do they experience the pauses we have experienced even if their whole family is against it? Now, I, met with, I have a friend that comes to the coffee shop often, and he's, he's rededicated his life to God, and he's slowly working his way, going into the disciplines, like reading his Bible and praying, and sorry, go ahead, all these different things, right? And what's really cool about it is he's asking a lot of these basic questions, but his entire family is against God, but he's not. How did that happen? Why did that happen? These are questions that I have to ask myself when it comes to ministering to kids. How does that actually work when the whole family's against it? You know, as Christians, we have all these positives. We have community and unity and love and support and, and meaning and opportunity. I mean, Synergy is a wonderful conference. How cool is this, right? To come to a spot and you hear a bunch of different people from all over the state or you meet each other from all over the state. This is unique. This does not happen anywhere else. This is kind of cool. Normally, some massive conference with thousands of people. You might meet one person and say, okay, that was nice. You get to have conversations with each other. This is a positive, and we want people to experience this, but how? Why would they even attend something like this? That makes no sense to them. It's not important. So these three questions are going to guide our time. 
I hate, I'm sorry, I'm going to say this, I hate surfaces, I hate them. Yeah, 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 sounds about right. Anyways, we're going to move, we'll, we'll just move on and maybe it'll catch up and Jordan, I don't know if maybe you can do some magic, I don't know, no clue. Um, all right, so I want to read something to you that I, I, I rec uh, that I remembered I had a long, long time ago. Maybe it kicks on, maybe it doesn't, I don't know. Anyways, I'll just read it to you and then we'll go from there. Oh, sheesh, I mean no signal, it's plugged in. Let's try this again. Sorry, everyone. I have a love-hate relationship with technology. Okay, I'm gonna read this to you, and then if it comes up, it comes up. That'll be great. Whatever, I'm done, I'm done. All right, all right. Um, this is from uh, the Barna Institute, and the, it's a play, if you wanna look it up, it's, uh, it's called One in Three Adults is Unchurched. So that's the, that's, if you want to put that in Google, that'll come up. It's one in three adults is unchurched. It's a really great article. Um, and here's just a little snippet that I thought was important. Important. Having, having studied church attendance patterns for over 20 years, researcher George Bonner suggests that the consistent restraint to church life in recent years is indicative of a historical shift in the nature's, nation's spiritual vision. To view, hey, see, you finally came up. Maybe it fell asleep. All right, cool. Whoops, there we go. All right, uh, where am I at here? Spiritual vision. To view the plateau level of the unchurched population as simply as an indication of stagnation in religious behavior is naive. So we're not plateauing, people are interested still. There are indeed millions of unchurched people who want nothing to do with organized religion or spiritual development. We can all be like, uh-huh, yeah. There's a lot of people that didn't want nothing to do with organized church, organized anything for that part matter. The more important, seriously, every time, okay, whatever. I'm just gonna stay over here, do your thing. The more important trend, however, is that the large growing number of churches of America, oh, sorry, the more important trend, however, is that a large and growing number of Americans who avoid congregational contact are not rejecting Christianity as much as they are shifting how they interact with God and people in a strategic effort to have a more fulfilling spiritual life. You want me to read that again? You got that? Okay, I'll read it again. The more important trend, however, is that a large and growing number of Americans who avoid congregational contact are not rejecting Christianity as much as they are shifting how they interact with God and people in a strategic effort to have more of a fulfilling spiritual life. Interesting, right? So instead of spiritual life being in church, they're shifting their view. They're okay with God and people. They just don't like this over here. But they want the spiritual life. It's just a little different. He continues, this data combined with other studies have recently been conducted suggests that we are on the precipice of a new era of spiritual experience and expression. The emergence of a national body of spiritual leaders who are assisting unchurched people in their quest for spiritual depth through means and relationships that are outside the usual institutional vehicles is significant. So what he's saying there is that all of a sudden there's this massive shift to a bunch of people that are helping other people find a spiritual life that's outside the organized what we understand as. There's a massive shift that's taking place. We anticipate substantial growth in the number of people who are not connected to a congregational church but who are committed to growing spiritually. This is true. We are seeing this, I'm seeing this in my business all the time. People won't go to church, but they'd be interested in hanging out with me and having Bible studies with me and my wife. Why don't you go to church? Eh, but I want to get closer to God. This, is, this doesn't make sense to me. This is not how I grew up. This is very different, so this is being confirmed in this thing. It would, n it would not be surprising to witness a larger slice of born-again population shift from, from church to unchurch column of the ledger over the next 10 years. What's amazing about this coming transition is that it's likely to occur without any real decline in activities such as Bible reading, prayer, tithing, family faith activities, or service to the needy. Yes, I would say that is something that is playing. People are willing to help out. People are willing to read the Bible. People are willing to pray. These things are, are constant. They, they are interesting into it. The people involved with the, with the altering the focus of their activity without diminishing the intensity of their commitment to God and their faith. What I find so interesting about this, this article, can you see the date on the bottom? 15 years ago. And I'm saying, yeah, I'm living that right now. 
This is dead on. 15, I mean, we're talking, he even said in 10 years this would happen. So that's 2015. We're in 2020. This is dead on. He was dead on. This is exactly, and this is the question that we're asking. How do you minister to the unchurched child? Because this has been foreseen by Jeremiah back in the Bible, saying God's going to appoint shepherds to take care of the lost sheep, and not just Israel, the entire world. And God is sending people like George Barna that's watching the culture and saying, there's a shift happening, and I see it. We need to be ready, and we need to be okay with a different way of doing ministry. And it's not bad. It's not weird. It's, it's, it's uncomfortable, but it's necessary for us to grow and go, for, and grow forward with it. So, so let's go to, we're going to answer, we're going to do some terms and definitions so that we're on the same, same page, and then we'll dive into those questions. How many of you have ever heard of George Barna before, before I read this thing? Awesome, cool. How have you heard of George Barna before? In what context? Yep. Yeah, exactly. He does that. Very good. How many of you have a friend that does not know Jesus? Like you're, and when I'm saying don't have a friend that, I mean, I'm talking about your, it's a close relationship friend. Like you guys do dinners together. You watch your kids together. You play together. You do a bunch of stuff together. Raise your hands. Nice, nice and tall. Awesome. Who is the person? How did you get to meet them? Cool. And how did you keep, how is that relationship still there? Why would you say it's still there? Exactly. So the kids know each other. Now they know that you're a follower of Jesus, right? And so have they rejected you in any way as their friends because of that? Has there ever been that tension of like, okay, kind of tell everyone about that tension. Like, is there a spiritual moment that you can think of? You're like, this is where that tension started. It doesn't have to be like the first one, but maybe something that you felt significant. Right. Yep. Right. Cool. So yeah. So we need to define some terms. Thank you for sharing. That's great. Thank you for sharing. Um, before God told me to told my wife and I to leave Pennsylvania and that kids pastor job to do this, I had zero unsaved friends. My entire world was church, all saved people. Loved it. It was so much fun. The moment God said, "Nope, not anymore," I that was a that was a fun year. <laughs> this guy taught me a lot how to connect with the unsaved because he lived it every day. I, that was not something I lived. I was very, 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 it was hard for me to transition to think like them, to, to be like that, because it was not my world. It's not how I was brought up and did. So, but now I love it. I see the benefits like you have, where it's like, yeah, they're not following Jesus yet, but man, I'm praying for them. My kids are connected with each other, and it's just a slow journey. It's not going to happen right away. It's going to, some people, it's going to take time, and it's, it's okay. So let's define some things. The word unchurched, I'm going to assume a couple of things in each of these definitions, and you might have a different definition, but here's the ones that I'm going for. Um, I'm assuming when we say the word unchurched that everyone has an idea of what church is, but not a complete view. So if I say unchurched, the word church itself, someone might have an idea. So let's put yourself in, in your unbelieving friend. So who else has an unbelieving friend like they're really, really close to? If you said the word church to your unbelieving friend, what would be something they would say? Been there, done that. Good. So this is someone that has an idea of church, but they didn't like it for whatever reason. Eh, wasn't my jive. And I don't need it all. But they kind of have an idea of what church is, but not, not a really like intimate knowledge that we have. Another assumption that I'm making is at some point the God idea enters their mind and they've tried to pray. Or in the way they try to treat God like some sort of genie. Well, I prayed and asked God to take this away. He never did, so it didn't work. Okay, so God is just this magical aura genie that that just gives you something when you pray. So that's that's my understanding of unchurched people. Minister, um, this an assumption I'm making is that every Christian is a minister. This isn't a title, a position. So when I say minister, I'm not talking about the lead pastors, kids pastors. I mean, so anybody who said, "Yep, I'm going to follow Jesus," you're a minister. That is an assumption that I am making. That is not something that has been grounded more and more in what God has told us to do now than it was before. But I'm seeing, seeing things like that. Assumption two I'm making is ministries look different and is creative in its care for people. So it doesn't matter what it is, as long as you're loving and caring for people, it's ministry because you're, you're shepherding, right? You're, you're taking care of, you're, you're protecting, you're leading. 
Um, the next uh, word is against, and we're just assuming um, against these, these are parents specifically. I'm assuming the parents are hurt for whatever reason, if this reason is real or not. They don't go to church because I had a friend who said this, or I, you know, you know, we had this whole, you know, this, the whole political climate's like all out of control. Well, we pray for them, we blah, 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 and he's not a Christian, but he's, okay, whatever, right? They don't go to church because of that. Real or not real, doesn't matter. It's a reason for them, which is why they're not committed. Um, assumption two is while parents, and this is I find very interesting because I have some friends as well who we were very close to when we first started, and our kids played together all the time. The moment school started for our kids, that's when the great divide happened between us. But we had them over for dinner the, uh, about a month ago, and this was interesting. Um, while parents allow their kids to watch and do whatever, for the most part, they kind of let their kids watch zombie movies or whatever like this, they're not okay if their kids go to church. That doesn't make sense to me. They're saying like, oh, we want our kids to experience the world and be educated. Oh, great, why don't you guys go? No, we don't do that. Wait a minute, hang on, I'm confused. Like this, this is, there, there's something weird going on here. And this is literally what my friends are facing right now. They're not followers of Jesus in any way. They both have religious backgrounds. He's Mormon and she's Catholic, so that's just a weird marriage in and of itself. But they, but they, don't, they, don't, follow, they don't follow either tenet, so it's fine. Um, but when we had them over for dinner, I asked them how things were going. They're like, well, you know, our kids went to uh, VBS for some friends. I just sat there shocked. I'm like, wait, you went to a VBS? I've been praying for for years, and we've been inviting you to, like, hang out and do stuff with us. And you, your kids, your neighbors invited your kids to go to VBS, and they went to VBS. And now the kids are like, we want to go back every Sunday. But it, parents, the dad was like, but this isn't part of our life and our culture, so I want to do it. But, man, it just doesn't fit our life. And I'm thinking, I'm like, but you let your kids do everything else. Why not? So right now they are facing that God question. My kids want to be in church because they think it's fun. They think it's great. But the parents know exactly what's going on. And they feel that tension from the Holy Spirit. The tension between their old life and the potential new life. And, that, and the enemy is going to work hard to make sure that doesn't happen. But I just find that fascinating that my friends are wrestling with that because I never thought that would actually be happening. I thought I'd be able to witness that. I didn't realize somebody else would get to see the fruit of that at all. So, so let's go move on and answer some of these questions. How do you minister to someone who doesn't care about Jesus? And what is effective ministry outside of the church? So I have a couple Bible passages I would love for you to read. The first one is Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Who would like to read this out loud? Don't you all throw your hands up at once. Preferably someone who hasn't raised their hand yet. Okay, there we go. All right. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Would you mind pulling up your Bible on your phone there, sir? So we're going to answer the question, how do you minister to someone who doesn't care about Jesus, and what is effective ministry outside of the church? Now, FYI, in this passage, Paul talks about in the church, but we're going to kind of move it on the outside. You'll see in a little bit. Whenever you have it, say it loud and proud. Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Cool. What stood out to you in that passage? What are some words or ideas that stood out to you? Jason. It's about the other person, not you. Good. What other things stood out to you in that passage? Humility. Good. What else? Read it again. One more time. Nice and loud. Good. Anything else stood out to you? Value. Okay. Interest of others. Good. Above yourself. Yeah, kind of back to what Jason. Good. Anybody else have any other new new thoughts? Do nothing. Nothing. This is a hard one for Christians. This is, huh? Interest. Their interest. Very good. Yes. Yep, each of you. So Paul here is talking to the Philippian church, obviously, and he's talking to a group of Christians that he, according to what we understand from the letter, he loves them very, very much. But if we take this passage and we apply this to unsaved people, you just have yourself an effective way of ministering to the unchurched kid. You see it? Pretty neat, right? You have it already. Paul already laid it out. The way you treat Christians and each other, do the same thing to the unchristian, the exact same thing. You take interest in them. 
You care about them. You love them. You don't do it out of your own selfishness. And this is why um, this is why people don't go to church because they think it's a you know it's a bait and switch. I only want you to come to church because I want my attendance to be up or because I want you to tithe or yeah, we want you to have Jesus, but I want you to do this. And to them, they're viewing it as a bait and switch. They don't actually know that you actually care and you're actually interested in what they're interested in because it's all about you. It's all about you. And that's not at all what God wants us to do. So Paul lays that out. So how do we answer this question? What's effective ministry outside the church? We need to care for these people mentally and socially. They need to know in their head that you actually care about them. Yeah, we care about their spiritual life. Yeah, we care about and those things we pray about. But they need to know that when I go to my friend's house for dinner and I have my kids play for each other, they have to know that if we don't say the Lord's Prayer or we lead them to a salvation, that's not going to happen at our house. We're just going to have a meal together. They know we're going to pray for dinner because that's our standard as a family unit, and they know that right away. But we're going to take care of them. We're going to ask them how they're doing. If they're sick, we're going to bring them something to eat. If, they, if they're alone, we're gonna, if they're, they're just losing it as parents because their kids are being crazy, just like my four girls would be crazy, we would share that responsibility and loving because we're taking care of them mentally and socially. Paul already lays out this effective ministry. He just laid it out as followers of Jesus. If we switch that and put that non-followers, we have a model. All right, next one is Acts 9, 32 to 43. So it's a little bit longer of a passage. Who would like to read this one? All right, way in the back. Acts 9, 32 to 43. Nice and loud. Uh, no? All right, somebody else. I'll give you a pen anyways. All right, Brian, go for it. Awesome. Thank you. What are some things that stood out to you as he was reading? Okay. Yep. Good. What are some other things that stood out to you? Acts of Charity. Boom. Very good. Yep. He, yep. Uncomfortable. He touched a body that according to the the law, he's unclean. Okay, what else? Good. Between him and God, a private moment. It wasn't a public spectacle. It was a him and God moment and, and what's going on. What else? Yep. Good. Good. Good perspective, yes. One more. Good. So here we have a way of an effective, how do, you, how do you do this without a church building? Or even let's say you're in a country that has no freedom of worship. How do you have an effective ministry? You care for them physically and spiritually. That's what you do. Um, in El Salvador, when we were there, uh, like I said, they, they have them as churches. I mean, El Salvador, it's a very, uh, there's a lot of churches there. Um, a, lot of, um, a good majority of them are just Christians. Um, but it's, it's a little bit, it's, it's weird. It's how, it's how they live. I love it. And, um, what I found so 
interested about this this group that we're connected with, this NGO that does stuff for Christ. Um, they will literally be on the streets giving food to people. They will have music and they'll have someone giving a small devotional to the poorest of the poor. Now we're talking about people that literally sleep on the streets. And when I talk about people living on the streets, don't think of inner city wherever in the United States of America. This is not even, like these guys are, these people are worse of the worst. It's nothing compared to what we experience here. Poor people here, I know it sounds bad, poor people here are more rich than the people in these countries. Like these people might not even be able to eat for four days straight. Like there's, there's, there's no opportunity, there's no government, there's no one cares about them whatsoever. Um, but effective ministry to, to a place where there's no building that they can go to, they just do it right there on the street. And so what they do is they feed them, taking care of them physically, and they preach the word of God to them and they pray for them. They take care of them spiritually. Now, if those people decide to follow Christ after that, that's awesome, and they get to track with them. But if they decide not to, they're just there for free food, which a lot of those poorest of the poor are there for. You're still taking care of them spiritually, just slowly adding that over and over and over again. And these people, most Christians in this community, and that's, this was really neat about it, is that even though this church is the one that sends people out, probably five people at a church of probably three, 400 actually go serve the poorest of the poor. The rest of the congregation doesn't even show up because they're unclean. I don't want to associate myself with them. No, 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 no. They're my own people. I don't want to know. And so it's hard for the pastors, it's hard for the board and leadership to be like, you got to care about your own people when they're like, no, I'm, I'm good where I'm at. I'm comfortable where I'm at. Why would I go serve my own people if they look like this or sound? I don't know. It's embarrassing for me. I don't, I don't want to do this. But we just read in this passage, and you pointed out, right, he should not have been near that dead body, period, as a Jew. It should not have happened, but he did anyways. And God did something amazing, and because of that, we have this amazing story of how God. So when you're, when you're asking yourself, how am I going to minister to somebody if, I, if I, it's not happening at a church building? Or maybe you're asking someone who's in, in a country that has no freedom of religion whatsoever, and church is underground. How do you do it? You basically do it by taking care of them physically and spiritually because those are the avenues that we need to connect and those are the quickest ones to people's hearts. All right, last question. Genesis 22, 18, just one verse. Who wants to read that one? Okay, right over here. Nice and loud. Genesis 22, 18. that one more time nice and loud okay obviously God's talking to Abraham here right what did you hear what stood out to you as she read that okay good good yep and, uh, yep it just it's a blessing after a blessing good what else? I'm sorry? Recognizing God's voice. Good. Decisions you made have a trickle effect. Very good. So what's neat about Abraham is he ne the only promise that he got to see was Isaac. He didn't get to see the, sand, the people as wise sand as seashores or the stars in the sky. He didn't get to see that. He got to see one thing all for his obedience. That's all he got to see. And you have something about the unchurched child or the family that you have to recognize when ministering to them. You may not see them come to Christ. That doesn't help church numbers, people. That doesn't look good on your ACMR. It just doesn't. It just doesn't. But if we look biblically, how does God work with people that, that are not close to him? He takes care of them and he blesses them. And he tells, here, I'm going to give you a blessing. Now I want you to go be a blessing to them. And I want you to be, and then when you have kids, they're going to be a blessing and they're going to be a blessing. If we look at our historical roots, our spiritual roots, it happened with Abraham. Thousands of years later, we're sitting all together at Synergy in Upper Arlington High School. We are a fruit, a byproduct of his obedience. Abraham did not see that. He didn't know you. 
He had no clue your background, your history. He did not. He just obeyed God and said, I'm going to do the best I can to follow God. And yeah, I got one blessing. I got the affirmation. I got a son. That's all he saw. I believe God gave Abraham maybe some spiritual eyes into the future, kind of seeing what's happening. But we see that God, we see the faith of Abraham was so significant that he was obedient to him, and we get to be part of that blessing. That's pretty cool. So think of all your friends. Think of your friend who's not saved right now and their family. It'd be cool if you got to see them come to Christ, right? How co- that would be sweet, just like other, the many friends I have. But if they never come, do I believe in faith? Am I being obedient to God right now? Am I being obedient to God right now? That's the question you have to ask yourself. Do you want to minister to the unchurched kid and the family and their parents who are totally against it? You have to ask yourself, are you being obedient to God right now? Because if you are, God's already laid out that promise, and it's going to be for them. The blessing is going to be for them, which means your family is blessed by God in some way that he's, act- he's asking you to spin that on its head and for you to bless them. So we have this idea in our heads sometimes as Christians where we just like, you know what, I don't want to take care of them. I don't want to bless them because man, they might have more money than I have. They might have more influence. They might, they might be completely, absolutely fine. It's not the case. Their whole world's a mess. They just may not show it externally because they're trying to, you know, you know, public image or whatever, right? But if you can bless them and take care of them, you're, show, you're ministering to them. You're taking care of them. And when you start ministering and blessing people that are completely and absolutely against what you do and what you believe and what they believe, all of a sudden their, so- their heart becomes a little bit more softer towards you. It happens to us all the time in our coffee shop. We get people in our shop that come in, and I, some are Christians, some that are not, and it's hard for us to know. So I just told, our, I told, I tell my staff, I was like, if someone comes in and um, you're, they don't have money, Give them, give them a drink. It's okay. Not a big deal. No big deal. We have this homeless guy. His name is Kevin. who comes in all the time, maybe two, three times a day, maybe. After that, there's a limit. He comes in. He's the only homeless guy we have in Hilliard. Everyone knows him. He's a harmless, harmless guy. He drools everywhere. It, he makes a mess. But he's been coming in the last couple of months, and um, he doesn't want – He sometimes take coffee. It's really, really cold outside. But he just wants a Sprite. He just wants a Coke. And he comes in and every one of my staff, now I have people working with me that are Christians or non-Christians, but every single one of them knows we exist to be a blessing to everybody. They know that. So for them, when he comes in and there's a line going out the the door, he'll he'll just sneak right in because everyone's like, oh man, he's drooling all over the place, right? They're kind of like, I don't want to touch you, unclean type thing. And he just comes in and he's like, hey, can I? And we're like, yep, go ahead. Just grab whatever you want out of the cooler. Be blessed. And he has a thank you so much. Thank you so much. And he just walks out. And everyone else is like, what just happened? No one else does that in Hilliard. We're the only ones that do it. Because we, God has blessed us with things that we can pay for. He does not. We are called to be a blessing. So I'm going to bless the guy. And if he gets to see Christ through that, wonderful. If I get to have a conversation of Christ with him, wonderful. But if I don't get to see that at all, I am trusting the Holy Spirit to work on his heart that I'm not going to be able to speak into. Because I, I have the blessing, and I'm not supposed to keep the blessing. It would be complete within my bi- This is not bad. This is horrible business advice. Giving things away for free. You will not make it. Just period. You won't. If I did that to every single person coming in, with nothing coming, no, nothing replacing the income, right? I would lose. I would just lose. However, the Lord has blessed us. And because the Lord has blessed us, I need to turn around and be a blessing. So you have to ask yourself the question. If you're going to minister to the unchurched kid or the unchurched family, you have to look at your situation in your life and say, okay, God, how have you blessed me? How have you helped me? Is it family unity? Is it love? Is it I'm really good at fixing cars? I'm, I, I love medical things. Um, is it um, I'm really good with kids or Maybe you're not really good with kids, and you're like, I'm really good at, like, let's go have some fun, whatever it might be. And if you're all into, like, church and the world, and that's all you do, well, then invite them in. Say, hey, I'm going to be playing some music. Why don't you come and hit? Yeah, we're going to sing some Jesus songs. Just know that. But if you want to pick up a guitar or play a drum or something like that, you're not leading anything. You're just having a little band session, and they get to play along. These are things that you get to bless them with because they, they need to experience that. All right, so what are some summary things? And then we'll get some questions here. So um, summary things, how do we minister to the unchurched kid really easily meet their needs? 
meet their felt needs. Like, what is it? And you have to discover that. And you will only discover that through relationship. You're not going to be like, oh, I know your need. You don't have Jesus. Duh. That's why they're unchurched. No, what's their felt need? What is it actually they need? Like, what is it? And then you meet that need. So invite them to be blessed or be a blessing. We have some, where I'm at, we have um, Dublin right above us. We have Galloway and a couple other places below us. And the demographic and the price range between the two is significant. Some are very blessed and some that are not blessed. And some people, you might be thinking, I'm like, man, these guys are rich. Well, I can't bless them because there's not much I can do. Well, then ask them to join you to be a blessing to somebody else. Just spin it on its head. Say, hey, come do this with me. We're going to do this. Um, we do it all the time at, at our shop. When we have like donations for El Salvador for something in need. Or just recently, we did a volunteer thing at Nationwide Children's Hospital where we're going to do puppets. And the nurses were all like, this is amazing. We want you all over the place. We're like, great. If we can make kids smile because they're in a horrible spot, praise the Lord. We're going to do that. But we asked them, we asked the nurses, what do you guys need the most? Because I'm sure you guys get a lot of questions like this or whatever, like deodorant. You will be surprised how many parents come here with their kid out of frantic because their kid's not doing well and they get everything else except deodorant. And so it just reeks everywhere. If you guys could provide deodorant, so guess the first thing we're going to do? We're going to put out a box and we're going to say, hey, we're donating deodorant to the Nationwide Children's Hospital. And if you donate a pack of deodorant, we're just going to give you a free cup of coffee or a latte on us just as a thank you. That's not good business practice, Nate. God will take care of that. We're going to be a blessing to people that actually need it. So I'm going to ask the people that are blessed with healthy kids, with money. I can go out and buy a $2 thing of deodorant. I can go buy a pack of deodorant at Costco or Sam's. And I'm going to donate in the for, for them to receive. And we'll get a lot of those people that are, have, that are pretty affluent to be like, no, no, I'm still going to pay for my drink. I, this is great. Thank you. The amount of people we get ask us, thank you for showing us where the need actually exists. Oh, my gosh. So many people. They're like, I had no idea where to donate my money to. Or I have no idea what to donate to because everyone, everything's a scam nowadays. I don't trust anything. But I trust you guys because I see you doing good things. And because I trust you, I'm going to give you $50. Go buy as much deodorant as you want. We set ourselves up for that trust and that blessing. And you can do that too because you're just doing it in a relationship. It could just be one person. It doesn't be on a massive scale. Be one person and make it simple. Next, you've got to discover their needs. Either it's basic or complex. Um, open your eyes to those whom God put you with or surrounded you with. Your coworkers, your neighbors, your, the kids that, uh, at your school, the different things that are going on, your community leaders. Who has God surrounded you with that you just need to say, God, open my eyes. Help me to see the need and how I can meet, meet that need. Uh, see, seize every moment the best you can by adding value, trust, and life into people by serving them. And then introduce your faith in Jesus by how you live, pray, and serve. As a minister of the gospel, it does not mean you have to stay on the corner and get a bunch of people to come to Christ and say, blow horn, Jesus saved you. No, we don't have to do that. As a minister, as a shepherd of Christ, your main job is to take care of people. And by taking care of people, you will actually meet their need. And by meeting their need, you're actually showing them Jesus. And showing them Jesus, they're going to buy into you, which means they're buying into Jesus, which means we might see a trickle effect, a blessing that might enter that family. So if I go back to the story with my friend, the only reason my friend is the only Christian in his family and not the rest of his family is because someone decided to take care of him when his mom died, his sister died, and so it was his father, him, and him, those, those three left. And the church community that was there, they did one thing to him because he broke both of his legs. They built a ramp for him to go to church. Now, he had a horrible church experience. His dad was very abusive. The entire church thing just wasn't good for him. There's literally, when you hear a story, there's no reason for him to be saved at all. But the only thing he remembers that was significant was the church was willing to put money to build a ramp so he can go into church. Now, we're standing here thinking what our church makes us. Oh, that is not how you save. Um, hmm. That was a felt need that he had as a kid. He couldn't go to church anymore. Oh, I built a ramp so you can come to church now. Who would have thought building a ramp for someone who had their, both their legs broken to go into church would have sent him on a spiral for him to accept Jesus later on? No clue what you're going to do. You have no idea what that action is going to be to make it happen. So, cool. Any questions or comments? We've got a couple more minutes here. Yes, someone said I can do that, and once I figure it out, yes, yes.
I'm going to make a note of that so that way I remember. Anybody else? Anybody else? Yeah, so we're yeah, we're connected yeah, we're connected to an NGO down there. Um, and that NGO is serving to be basically to be a blessing of the poorest of the poor in El Salvador. Um, their entire mission is to work with families and kids. So their entire their entire viewpoint is how can we help these kids actually have a good education because if we can give them an education and teach them like English or whatever the deal is, um, they have a higher chance of having a better life in El Salvador than they have right now. Um, so a lot of them will do, um, like I said, the street missions there. They have they have a they have a boys' home called Emerson's House. We just built. I helped them build a the women's home called Deborah's House, and that was a crazy experience. You know, today in America we have those things, those electronic stampers that press the ground, press the dirt. If you guys know what I'm talking about, it just does that. That's not what they have in El Salvador. What they have in El Salvador is a cinder block with a piece of wood coming up, and there's a guy doing this. And then the foreman comes around with a rebar, and they throw it in the ground after sprinkling with water, and that rebar sinks five inches, and he says, do it again. And boom, boom, they get a dollar a day for doing that. Took them months to do it. We did it, all of us guys, our hands were bleeding and cracked with calluses. It was so, it was hot, it was crazy. To think they only get a dollar a day for doing that manual labor, uh-uh, that would not fly in any U.S. anything, right? But that country, that's what they do. But so what's great about this group is what they do is they take them in, they give them lunch, and they give them money for dinner when they go home, and they provide for them all their materials so that way they don't have to go out and buy it. And if their family needs something, they just need to say something, and immediately that ministry takes care of that family. No other construction else is doing that. So as much as they're, they're following the, the rule of the law as far as this is how much we pay people for work, they're going over and beyond for the ministry of actually taking care of people. And so with that comes their wives, comes their kids, comes getting people off of drugs, getting education, that sort of thing. It's a really, and they've been doing it for 15 years now. It's really cool to see. But it's not big. It's very small. Cause not, yep. Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah, he's labeled as an NGO, but the... Um, but yeah, it's a Christian-based group, and they love God, and they have devotional every every day. They have teams of people. It's really cool. Any other questions? Does everyone kind of understand how to minister to the unchurched kid now, roughly? It's not, right? It's all right there in the Bible. You just got to think of it differently. Uh, my hope in prayer is that you guys get to go home and actually find someone that doesn't know Jesus and get friends with them so you can actually start ministering to the unsaved kids um, my daughters have lots of friends that don't know Jesus and when they get when my daughters went to El Salvador and they came back it was really cool my daughter's class my oldest one um, they were so um, they were so excited that Anna could get to go to El Salvador and a lot of them had to ask her now some of them are Christians and some of them are not and we know most of the parents they started asking her questions. Why are you going to El Salvador? And then my daughters get to share. Well, we want to be Jesus to them and bless them. My ten, my almost 10-year-old is being a little missionary. I'm like, ah! right? Annika, right? Remember little little Annika? It's like he remembers watching her. I mean, we're talking Ariella. He was he held our, my third daughter when she was born. That little one, Austin, you should have seen her holding babies, loving on them, singing. I mean, it's crazy. Just crazy stuff watching my girls grow up. But what's so cool about it is that the class wanted to know so much about what my daughters were doing overseas that they wanted us to FaceTime the class so they can see what the environment was like. You're talking about a bunch of kids that don't know Jesus that are interested in my daughter. That means my daughter has been adding value into those classrooms to those kids day by day. I don't even know it. So when I'm talking about being a blessing, every action you do with your kids or your family, you don't know what's actually going to take place. So when we called them in El Salvador, and I said, here's Annika, Annika was like, oh my gosh, you got to see this baby, you got to see this banana tree, you got to see this thing over here, it's so hot, and she was just showing, and the class was like, whoa, 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 this is so good, this is amazing, and so when they got back, they wrote a huge sign, welcome home, Annika. I'm sitting there like a dad, like, I just want to weep, I'm like, my daughter is literally being a minister to kids I'm not even touching, but because she gets it. At a young age, that if I want to care for people, they'll listen to me. 
So why don't we do that as adults? If you have unsaved friends, I just want to challenge you. Keep serving them. Keep loving them because you never know when the Holy Spirit works out. For those who don't have unsaved friends, like I was many, many years ago, I want you to feel convicted by the Holy Spirit, like deep conviction. I know that sounds bad, and I would have hated myself if I was in your shoes and the speaker told me to do that. But now that I'm on the other side, I'm like, that would have been good to hear. Be convicted by that. Find someone, your neighbor, whatever, and start loving on them. You don't need 10. Pick one. I don't, know how, don't care how you find them. Pray and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal those people to you. You need someone because that is why you're a minister of the gospel because he called you back in Jeremiah. I'm going to call shepherds to call the lost back to me and they're not going to be afraid anymore. I, the Lord, have spoken. So you are living the prophecy out. So you need unsaved friends. You need to minister to the unchurched kids, to the unchurched family because you signed up for it. So it's okay to be scared. It's okay to be uncomfortable. It's okay to be like, Nate, I don't know what to do. Yeah, I opened up a whole business on that basis. I don't know what I'm doing. It's okay. It's fine. Allow the Holy Spirit to move you to that place of uncomfortability so that way you can actually see him getting the glory and not you. Because like we read in those other verses, it's not about you. It's not about your intent. It's about God. I'm serving them selfishly. I'm, ser- I'm serving them caring about who they are as a human being. All right, let me pray real quick, and then you guys can get out of here. Jesus, thank you so much for this time, this opportunity that we got to share and um, just kind of talk together as a group about reading your scripture and sharing stories about unsaved people and um, sharing stories about you doing some great work. And God, I pray for those that have unsaved friends, that have unsaved kids and families that they are already connected with. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would just, oh, burst something in those families, in those kids that is like anything else before. I pray that um, these people that have these friends, that they would be a blessing to them. They would take care of them uh, spiritually and mentally and socially and physically. They would do these things that your word tells us to do as Christians um, and to do these people. And then you can start, God, just start showing them some fruit. God, it may not be the full-blown salvation. It may not be the full-blown, you know, commitment to Christ, which is what we want. But God, if it's not, if it's just a seed planted, if it's just a little bit of watering and someone else, God, you're in charge of the harvest. You're in charge of the growth. We're just in charge of being obedient like Abraham was. And so I pray that you just bless these that have friends that don't have unchurched people, that have unchurched people in their life that they would just love on them and be okay with the fact that they're being obedient, even if they don't see much fruit. And God, I pray for those that have no unsaved friends. They don't have any unchurched people in their life. They have, they're, they're so far away from it. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would start just convicting them in such a deep way that doesn't come from me, that comes from you. God, create this unrest and this birthing process inside of them. And God, I even pray for today that you would start sending that unsafe person to them, that then when they see that moment and they just kind of want to be like, eh, I'm too busy, that immediately they'd be like, oh, wait, hang on. I'm a minister of the gospel. God has called me to the lost sheep, and the lost sheep is the world, because that's what Jesus said in Matthew 28. Go into all the world and make disciples, not just Israel, all the world. And I pray in those moments they would actually make the efforts to love and care and bless and be the ministers that they are called to be because of Jeremiah's prophecy. Thank you so much, Lord, for this time. Thank you for sending these people. Open their eyes to things they've never seen before. In your name, amen.